from Green Biz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from Green Biz events. I'm Joel McCower. We talk about um, uh, prioritizing symbiosis between humanity and nature. How do we heal and strengthen? And much like our poet laureate just said more beautifully than I could, the earth will be fine without us. Andy Karsner is managing partner of Emerson Collective and a former U.S. Assistant Secretary of Energy. He spoke with Don Lippert, CEO of Elemental Accelerator, and me at the Verge Hawaii conference in June 2017. We discussed how transforming markets and scaling technologies, programs, and platforms can strengthen the symbiosis between nature and humanity while delivering reliable clean energy. Let's listen in. So I think, Andy, to set the stage, I want to start with you and sort of because your role at DOE and now uh, as part of the Emerson Collective, which I want you to talk a little bit about, get to, and the partnership now with uh, what used to be the Energy Accelerator, Don's, Don and Jill co-founded and now is Elemental Accelerator. But t- just to, from perspective, let's go back a, a decade. Uh, simpler days, simpler times, uh, in terms of the Hawaii Clean Energy Initiative and, and how that began and where that, what the original intent was that you were trying to uh, create and what, what was the role that you even played? Right. Thanks, Thanks, Joel. Um, you know, I, I, can, I can talk about it going back a decade, but I'll, I'll tell you the truth and, and, and uh, quite inspired by uh, what we just saw with Aloha. Um, in, in so many ways, the Hawaiian Clean Energy Initiative is not something that was born in the halls of DOE. I mean, sort of as a practical policy matter, yes, or as a funding or technical assistance or kind of how do we help Hawaii think about a transformation in technology. But um, inevitably, when you think of uh, the Hawaiian Clean Energy Initiative, it actually is not just a forward thing. It's actually a, a regressive thing that goes back to everything Hawaiians have always known about a very special and magic place, blessed with incredible natural resources, resources that have provided uh, uh, energy for millennia for explorers and for navigators and for settlers and for farmers. And so whether it's the heat beneath your feet uh, you know, on the big island or the trade winds um, or, or the tides uh, or the sun, these things have always been endemic and intrinsic and part of the culture here. So naturally there was an incredible aspiration. And that aspiration was conveyed to me through my dear friend uh, Maurice Kaya, who at the time was the head of the state energy office for Governor Lingle. We had just uh, completed uh, at the time the world's largest marine conservation area, Papahanaumokuakea, and we um, uh, said, well, when you're endeavoring to make something so natural and beautiful that is so vulnerable and has a superimposition of hydrocarbons completely irrationally put upon its economy when it's blessed with the greatest renewable energy resource, why don't we stop thinking about incremental bite-sized demonstration and pilots and prototypes Why don't we actually say, where is the best place for the United States, in fact, for the world, to scale a holistic, integrated, community-sized demonstration of its own? Wow. And that was the thesis behind the Hawaiian Clean Energy Initiative. And um, it was met with open arms, again, not because it was our idea, but because it was 
the cultural, instinctive inclination of what was going on here already. And so we formed this wonderful partnership that has lasted through multiple uh, uh, changes in local government, uh, in national government, and I think it's gonna make Hawaii the beacon and exemplar, not just for the, our country, but probably for the world. Oh, what a vision. What, what, what's the current state of that in the, the new administration? Is, is uh, Energy Secretary Perry, is he aware of this? Is he involved, does he, does he care? I doubt it. But, uh, um, but, I, but I think, uh, I, you know, I, I think, uh, I think uh, everybody's entitled to their victory lap when they come and are well greeted into Hawaii and uh, get to take some ownership in what has already begun to happen here. I'm sure every smart politician will say, oh, that's partially because of me. And, and, uh, and so I'm sure that they'll have their, their chance and their share, and I, I think we should embrace that. But, but fundamentally, it actually doesn't matter how much this administration panders to specific groups and, and says we'll resurrect coal or we'll, we'll, we'll put a new uh, a job in a closed factory. Or, you know, uh, the truth is, uh, like the whale oil trade that uh, once uh, abounded in these waters uh, to uh, give a, a light, uh, um, uh, it was supplanted by Edison, and that was supplanted by compact fluorescence, and now that's supplanted by LEDs, and once you have LEDs, you don't go back to whale oil. So, so Hawaii is well on the way for transformation that can't be put back into the bottle, no matter uh, what the inclinations are out of Washington. Yeah. Um, Don, you, you've been on the ground here for a, a long time. I don't actually know how long, but right? It, it, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, about eight years now. Eight years, so that's a, a, good, a good amount of time. I know not by necessarily by the standards of, of the people of Hawaii, but it's a, you know, you're, you're local in my eyes. But you've also, how when you, when you look at what's happened, you know, almost going back to that time and to, 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 to today in terms of the, the progress and the scale and the scope and the speed of, of how things are moving, are you seeing the, the kind of change that you think needs to happen or is it uh, too incremental, not incremental? Not, what would you, how would you describe it? Well, I think it's interesting what we're seeing here. So, I mean, originally these goals were really big and people were really surprised and said there's no way we can ever be 70% clean energy by the year 2030, 40% renewable energy, that's crazy. And now we're seeing just such rapid movement in that area that people are now saying we can do 100 and we're figuring out exactly how to do it and by when. So I think it's much more of a question of how um, we work together and bring everyone along in that process, not whether we can get there technologically or economically, but it's actually a question of like how we want to get there and design our system to do that. So I think that's really the challenge that we now have, is figuring out how we can be really intentional about designing the system that we want um, and bringing in new things as we do it. Okay, I still didn't give an answer though. Are you, are you satisfied with the pace of change? Yes or no? Well, if you know me, you'd know I'm not satisfied with the pace of change. That's probably but Yeah, but impossible. I'm still going to try. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I, I don't think that we're, we're embracing change in the way that would be most helpful for our community. So I think um, there are huge technological advancements going on around the world. And I think in order for us to really benefit successfully from that and to make sure everyone can benefit, we need to be more diligent and more thoughtful in how we actually design that change to integrate innovation and integrate these new things so we can all benefit. Right. So I think in terms of, yes, we want more pace, but we also want more design. Right. You talked about the power partnerships and, and, and you and, and Andy's organization. First, tell us a little bit about uh, recently uh, collided, combined, partnered. Uh, and I want to hear a little bit about that because uh, I'm still trying to understand the fullness yeah. of that. Andy, first of all, what's the Emerson Collective and, what, and what's okay. your role there? 
Yeah, so, so first of all, let me say it's not uh, uh, this and that organization. We're now one. We're now one elemental. And, and, and Don and, and the team here uh, uh, manages an accelerator that was born here organically that has been sort of the leading edge of that innovation. And just as we hope Hawaii becomes the exemplar for more communities elsewhere, um, uh, we think that the, the uh, unique and unbelievable role that the accelerator has played here needs to grow contagious and infectious elsewhere and be transplanted around communities in, in ways that sort of bring up uh, equity and, and, and uplift everybody. And, and that's endemic into the mission of Emerson Collective, uh, which is uh, the investment platform of, of Lorene Powell Jobs that many people know um, uh, principally for education as the long pole in the tent, but also uh, immigration and, and in particular sort of the work that's been done for the dreamers. And now, uh, in the way that I met Lorene uh, almost a decade ago in, in her passion for conservation, uh, bringing in-house uh, an environmental practice but we don't really call it an environmental practice. We, what makes it Emersonian, which is fundamentally an organization committed to uh, social justice, this is Ralph Waldo Emerson, so it's really about unlocking the individual and human potential of every uh, individual, no matter who they are or where they reside. And so to combine that with an environmental practice, we talk about um, uh, prioritizing symbiosis between humanity and nature. How do we heal and strengthen? And much like our poet laureate just said more beautifully than I could, the earth will be fine without us. You know, um, um, uh, that's, that's really not the point. It's about the longevity of our species and the way we interact with one another and how we take care of nature so that it can take care of us. And, and so uh, we believe in doing that, uh, just as Dawn has uh, over these years, transforming, uh, uh, pro using problem solving and transforming uh, uh, the world one community at a time. Mm -hmm. And so we're very sort of community focused and that's what brought us together. So, so if I was answering Dawn's question about whether she, she's so much dip more diplomatic about not being satisfied with the pace of change, we would never uh, embrace somebody who was satisfied with the pace of change. <laughs> we're, we're chronically dissatisfied. Yeah, yeah. We want the most dissatisfied person in every community to be as assertive and as talented as Dawn and the team she's put together to enable that change and, and so we're focused on people who think differently. Yeah. So uh, how does what you're doing and not just in Hawaii but uh, overall but and in Hawaii um, how is that affected by the current political climate? Is, is it at all or is it full speed ahead? Nothing to see here? Well, let's start with well, you, Don. I mean, it's never not affected. I think that leadership is really important at every level. So I mean, we see leadership at the county level. Um, we see at the state <laughs> level. Leadership always makes a massive difference. But I think what's different now about clean energy, what we're seeing, especially when we're working with our startups, is that no one can hold us back and we don't need permission. So mm -hmm. these companies do not need permission to do what they're doing. It's always helpful to have you know regulatory frameworks. But, um, but business models are there. The pace of change is there. Markets are there. Renewables are much cheaper than fossil fuels in most places. So um, our startups are certainly not waiting for the administration to change, um, and neither are we. And we're pushing ahead. And there's um, a, a huge amount of momentum. And um, the, you know, I think the rebound effect from Paris in the last couple of weeks is real. Even as we've seen sort of interest in investment in our companies, and that kind of thing can actually be really impactful for for moving startups forward. Yeah, uh, Andy, you you come from the uh, Republican side of the house. Uh, historically, I don't know what you would consider yourself today. Maybe, maybe not. Doesn't matter. But I'm, but I'm wondering how, as you look at at, at the leaders at state, local, and national levels, um, is there? I keep hearing that there is that the the Republican, for just to really focus on them, have been 
that there's a lot of people who really support what we all do, uh, support climate action, support clean energy, and all of that, but they're looking for some political cover and that somehow that's, it, 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 supposedly that's gonna get unleashed and we're gonna be on a happier path. Um, is that true, first of all? Is it possible? What do you think it will take? Yeah, so, you know, a couple things. I, I, it, I don't think Donald Trump comes from the Republican side of the House. I don't know where he comes from. I'm not sure, you know, where this mode of thinking is born, but it's corrosive and ugly, and I would not identify it with the party of Lincoln. Having said that, I don't know what's going on with that party, because there's, you know, all kinds of uh, Game of Thrones uh, populists and Tea Partiers and everybody waiting to uh, slice and dice everybody. So Washington is chaos, and Don sort of hit on it right to say, you know, we need to enable and empower and elevate uh, people of all stripes, doesn't matter their politics, uh, uh, to act without permission yeah. where they are, for who they are, and the capacities they have to address this problem. So if there's a latent sense among uh, uh, Wolf Hour congressmen that don't have the boldness to uh, uh, step into the action, it's because they have to look at their children <laughs> and grandchildren over the Thanksgiving table and explain you know, uh, why they are sheepishly not moving <laughs> things into the future. So I think there is an inevitable trend that uh, Washington has to catch up with the general population that is not split along partisan lines, yeah. um, that understands, uh, I want to breathe cleaner air, I want to drink healthier water, I want less carcinogens around, and I want my ecosystems to be healthy enough to, to uh, uh, create community. I, that's robust. And, and it has a disproportionate and outsized counterpoint of view through media channels, through radio, through Washington. But it, but it is not how, it doesn't accurately sort of reflect um, society. Yeah, I mean, and I think. I one, one more piece on that too, which is around the community piece. Because I think this is why it's so critical that our philosophy is around communities as units of change. And this is actually the scale at which trust is built. It's the scale at which you're actually doing projects. And you're getting into that, you know, Aki talked yesterday and, and about, we're talking about the accelerator, really where the ugly place of innovation is. It's where all the really like, bad, gross stuff happens, right? It's like, it's permitting and it's deployment and it's actually like, you know, digging trenches for electrical wire. It's, it's all the stuff where you're actually getting your hands dirty and, and putting um, things to work in the ground. That all happens at the community level, right? Okay. All, all deployment is local. That is all local. So yeah. I think um, from, from our perspective of how the accelerator sort of philosophy is, which is we're working with the community as a unit of change. Yes, we absolutely want, you know, last year we had TEPCO here, we have Vector here, we have these global partners that are that are contributing and like huge thought partners and commercialization partners for our companies. But fundamentally it's about actually working within the community as the the group that's gonna create this change for their own neighborhoods and communities. So I think that's um, really at the core of what, what we've been doing with the accelerator and what we also are now gonna be doing in other places. So it's the theory that this is a bottom-up movement and, and that eventually Washington or frankly uh, any state uh, capital um, will see a parade and want to get in front of it? I, look, I, th I think that um, uh, I think there is such a thing. It's not yet in the lexicon. You can coin it here if you want, but there is such a thing as political obsolescence. You can be so dysfunctional and so marginalized and so on the sideline that people begin ignoring you. So I would say Silicon Valley gave up on Washington a very long time ago. Right. And thank God we have no department of the internet inside the Beltway, mm. right? And, and, and so, so progress happens of its own accord. And the technologies have passed by policymakers, um, a 
capacity to understand, harness it, encourage it, regulate it, uh, uh, move it into a productive way. Yeah, yeah. So, so the corporations have taken over, the entrepreneurs, all the places that you dwell, right? The, the, the mayors. The, so your earlier question is, um, has, it been hurt, has it been hurtful? And, and you know, I, I'm sort of of the other stream. I think it's been the most helpful thing in galvanizing the most people in the most focused ways to come together with revitalized energy and move on problem solving. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it reminds me like a, of a, you know, at my kids' parties, the, the highlight is the pinata. You know, the, 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 the administration, the White House has sort of, you know, put themselves out as a pinata and began passing out bats to everybody all at once, right? And, and um, it seems like it's a helpful celebration at this yeah. point. Yeah. It, it's a, it's... It's certainly cathartic. Uh, let's talk uh, about about uh, uh, Hawaii in terms of the size and uh, it, being a small state with a bold ambition. Do you think the size uh, helps or hinders tr trying to not just uh, create the change in Hawaii but uh, influence beyond it? I mean, the size is a huge asset for Hawaii. I think so. I mean, when we're actually looking at our companies, so we're um, you know, we STEM is one of the early companies that we worked with, and actually um, creating a network of distributed storage here. And being able to do that in a room with the utilities that, okay, we're on board, we can figure this out with the PUC, we can figure this out, um, getting all those people at the table, that is a huge function of size, right? So I think that size is, is really our friend in that way. When you talk about transportation and sort of the um, electrification of transportation, or what we're actually doing on our um, public transportation system and trying to um, improve that, the island geography is a huge advantage in figuring out ways that you can actually make changes to a system and then measure those changes within a system. So I think size is, is an advantage. But um, you know, impact is also sort of proportional to size. I think in Hawaii we actually have outsized impact because of how, how we're doing it. But if we really want to have a big impact on the world, we also have to scale. And that for us is um, what motivated us to collaborate with Emerson Collective and this desire to scale and have a bigger impact and take the things that we were learning and are learning here in Hawaii and impact them in a, in a broader way. So size is the starting point, but we can't stop there. Well, let's talk about scale for a second, because the whole focus, uh, or big focus of all this has been the, the legislative mandate uh, that, that Governor Ige signed around 100% by 2045 in the electricity sector. Um, it sounds like a big goal. Is it big enough, Andy? I don't think it's fast enough. Um, it, you know, I, I don't know how you get bigger than 100%. I mean, unless you're going to wire back to the mainland and export some of this stuff. But, but I think that um, um, I don't, I, I, there is no technological nor technical impediment at this date, at this time, why Hawaii could not be 100% renewable energy today. There is no, nothing in the physical universe that says that shouldn't happen. When we birthed the Hawaiian Clean Energy Initiative, we couldn't say that. We, you know, we were walking into a minefield of aspiration and stretch targets and saying it should happen. It should happen. All the ingredients are here that if, it were, if we were ever going to cook the perfect soup, it would be here. So let's begin concocting a recipe. That's what the Hawaiian Clean Energy Initiative was. Now we have the ingredients. We have the recipe. It is all available to us. And the question is, you know, I always used to talk about technology, policy, and capital markets, right. that they all need re re reform. It's a three-legged stool. Um, well, technology is not a question anymore. 
right? We didn't have electric vehicles 10 years ago. Now we have no shortage of the trajectory of them, right? Um, um, uh, we didn't have distributed microgrids in the way that we have. Now we have all of that capacity. So, so if technology is not the issue and policy has the will to do it, then what is it in the misaligned incentives or the perverse alignment of economics that is insulating the outcome we seek from the opportunity we have? So, so Hawaii's challenge is to bridge that gap and think of it with a big picture way and not simply say it's, it's tough, it's incremental, let me get what I can, when I can in front of me, and by 2045, we may get there. I think there's a bigger opportunity to, to uh, use this moment of galvanization and to say, how do we rethink all of these things and integrate them to accelerate the outcomes we seek in a mutually beneficial way. Well, that gets to a question I want to, I want to sort of, as we sort of unfortunately run out of time here, I want to ask you both in terms of asking, as you said, Andy, the right question or asking a, a bigger question. Um, I always like to say that my favorite questions in sustainability all begin with the same four words. What would it take? And, and part of the exercise of that is, is figuring out what's the rest of that sentence, because it, it's asking the right question that gets us to that level of ambition and the scale, scope, and speed of, of what we're trying to do. And I'm wondering, as you look at the state of Hawaii and you look at the players who have come and are, are, are poised to come to the table to address this really still bold, audacious goal, What's your what would it take question for Hawaii? Don? It's a really good question. I think in light of this, my what would it take question is what would it take to align everyone that's involved in our ecosystem to the goal we seek? And I think that part of that is around um, bringing our community along and make sure that everyone has uh, a fair shot, that, that we actually have equity across um, our entire transformation, so people have an opportunity to participate, and not just in sort of installing technologies, but actually in jobs mm -hmm. and in meaningful ways that make a difference to their families. Um, but also, how do we align the utility so that every time we're putting you know, more renewable energy on the grid, the utility wins, and all of us win in the yeah. same way? So, I mean, I think a lot of it is around the alignment question. For us, the utility has been a really incredible partner in moving forward with some of this innovation. Um, but we still have sort of major misalignment in our market around you know, where the incentives are and the rewards are. So I think it's what would it take to actually align um, those pieces on, and in this, at the speed that we need to. I think Andy's point about sort of capturing this moment is really interesting. I mean, in 2008, we had a huge moment because oil hit $148 that summer in 2008, right after the White Clean Energy Initiative was signed. Right. And there was a massive push of momentum and speed and urgency around getting something done and setting a long-term vision, and there was a lot of political will to do that. I think now, because of what happened this month and because of, um, because of Paris, there is another sort of moment where we can actually capture momentum and capitalize on that to make some big changes. So, and I want to, like, that's where I want to really so, focus. So what this. I'm hearing is, yeah. is what would it take to get universal buy-in within the Hawaiian ecosystem of, 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 of consumer ratepayers of all kinds of utilities, businesses, cultural institutions, and, and part of that getting 100% buy-in is, is aligning incentives. Yeah, it's buy-in and it's also um, figuring it out. I mean, these are actually really hard problems to figure out. I don't think, we, even if we had 100% buy-in, we would 
we would still really need to work together to figure it out. Sure. So it's actually sort of aligning ourselves um, but it's getting that. It's getting information so that you can all march forward together. Yeah. Andy, what's your what would it yeah, take I, question? I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be a little more high level because I, I will tell you right before I came out here, I was so inspired by what I saw, not just with Kay Aloha, but with, with the mayor full, giving us a full-throated uh, uh, song. And, and, uh, I, and so I, for me, what it takes is exactly that. It takes passion and performance. Passion and performance, right? And, 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 and it, it's so easy when you're in Hawaii. It's why people keep coming back to be inspired. We talk about place-based innovation. This is a place of place-based inspiration. But inspiration and aspiration must be complemented by execution and performance. It's not enough to have these goals and to vaguely serve them and to say we all want to see it happen and it's just far enough over the horizon that I may not be around when it happens. That is insufficient, right? We, yeah. we, we, don't, we don't inherit a, a, a nature. Uh, we borrow it from our children, right? right? And, and so if we really want these things and we have the capacity to do them, it's now time to say how do we sharpen the pencils and execute and perform with precision with these plans and take them away from vague and ambiguous aspiration and into implementable plans through strategies that we can administer. And, 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 uh, sorry, and, that, and, that, and that's why uh, Elemental Accelerator is so fundamental yeah. because you need catalysts like Dawn and her team and all the people you've gathered and convened. We need catalysts everywhere to hold people to account yeah. to passionate performance. Passion and performance. And I think. That's, if I look at you two, I mean, that's so much of what you bring, both of you bring, both of those things. It's so good, passion, performance, and maybe once in a while, a pinata. Please join me in thanking Andy and Don. You've been listening to Andy Karsner of the Emerson Collective and Don Lippert of Elemental Accelerator in conversation at the Verge Hawaii 17 conference. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash centerstage and while you're there, tune into Green Biz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening.